Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, This morning's reading, we continue on from Good Friday. And this is um, to be found on page 1059. And we're reading on from Luke 23, verse 50, to the end of 24. Now, there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in a linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb, and how the body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead. He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners and be crucified and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb, and bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. 
And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one oh, visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. And in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning, but they didn't find his body. And they came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly. Stay with us, for it's nearly evening and the day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. And then the two told what they had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why did doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me. See, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as I have. When he said this, 
He showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. And he said to them, this is why I told you while I was still with you, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of, witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you, I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And when he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> Thanks, Val. Keep your Bibles or your screens open there on that passage. Happy Easter! I'm Colin, if I've not met you before. Good to see you all here. Um, and I'd love to chat to you afterwards over a hot cross bun, and maybe we'll steal an egg off one of the children. Are you good? So. Oh, sorry, not so Sorry, it started at the wrong end of my folder. And got the wrong sermon. <laughs> There's a look of panic on my face now because I know I've just loaded up my sermon in my folder and this isn't it. <laughs> Thanks. I'll do it off my small one. Oh, here it is. Now. I know what I did. I took last week's out of that plastic folder and then put it back in instead of putting the new one in. <laughs> So let's start again. Happy Easter. <laughs> Here we go. All right. What do you want to do before you die? That's a cheery question, isn't it, for Easter morning? But that's the question we've been asking on our um, Easter advertising. You can slide of that, Paul. It's just that picture, our first slide. Yeah, this is the, our advertising thing. Um, because we've all got things that we'd like to do, haven't we, before we sort of shuffle off this mortal coil um, I've noticed um, for Australians, um, lots of you in your 20s like to go on the overseas trip or, or even end up living overseas. Uh, I think it's because Australia is so far from everything else. You feel the need to let the world know that you're here kind of thing. So if you go around London, it's full of Kiwis and Aussies and South Africans with a few poms thrown in. 
It's a bit like Trinity Bay, really, in London. So. Yeah, my thing is, I'd love to go to the US and see the Grand Canyon. I'd love to see the US. It can't be as sort of samey as you see it on the films, can it? Um, my mum died last year, and um, you know, she knew as she was on her way out, she said, oh, but I can't die yet. I've got too much to do. Now, to be fair, she said that at the end of every day. You know, so, oh, I can't. The day can't. I've not, I've not done, got done what I wanted to do. But death does come to us all. It, you know, I know it's a bit macabre to talk about on Easter Sunday, but the reality is that we all, we all face is that we come up to the brick wall of death that brings a stop to everything. But I want us to see today that Jesus' resurrection from death means that we can get over that brick wall, that we can know for sure that we can live forever. So what we'll do is we'll have a look at some of the evidence for Jesus' resurrection quickly. Um, I mean, it's such an extraordinary thing to happen, isn't it? Um, And we'll try and see that the best explanation for the evidence is that Jesus was really dead and really raised back to life. And then we'll ask, well, so what? That's nice for Jesus, but what does it mean for us? And finally, we'll see how to respond to Jesus' resurrection. So first up, the evidence for Jesus' resurrection. Because Christianity, it stands or falls on whether Jesus really was resurrected or not. Uh, The Apostle Paul says in, in the Bible, if Jesus isn't raised, we Christians are of all people to be most pitied. But the difference with Christianity to any other religion is that Christianity puts its reputation on the line by grounding, our beliefs are grounded in events taking place in recorded history. So Jesus' resurrection begs to be scrutinized, given the sort of CSI Jerusalem treatment. Um, Luke, uh, who wrote this gospel that we just heard read, was a doctor, a physician, and he had an eye for detail. Places, names, what time of day it was, who was there. And he did the job of an investigative journalist uh, and put the eyewitness accounts together. And so if he'd made all this up, the people he wrote about uh, were still around and could have refuted his gospel if it wasn't true. And it just sink without a trace. Just another record of a flash-in-the-pan messiah cult. But instead, what we're left with is watertight evidence, hundreds of manuscripts, that what we've just heard read is translated from Luke's original gospel. It survived. Why? Because it's true. And just in the text before us that we've read, there's, there's much to point out to point us to the truth of Jesus' resurrection. So I'm just going to whiz through five things. We could talk about this at length, but five quick things. First, Jesus didn't faint. He really was dead. Um, So in verses 50 to 54, chapter 23, so we know who took Jesus' body, where where that bloke was from, who he got permission from, um, what he did with Jesus' body, and when he did it. See, back then there was no funeral directors. He didn't um, farm out handling the dead to third parties. Families, friends dealt with the bodies themselves. There was no chance of mistaking Jesus having just passed out for being dead. Second thing, the tomb was empty. The stone door rolled away. It says that in chapter 24, verses 1 to 3. But verse 12, his grave clothes are still there. 
So if Jesus' body was stolen, uh, why bother to undress it first? And exactly who would steal it? So it wasn't in the interest of the Roman or Jewish authorities. Jesus' resurrection was a bit inconvenience for them. And what about the disciples? Well, what did they overcome professional guards, pinch the body, and eventually go on to die as martyrs for, for what, a lie? Third thing, if you were making this up, you wouldn't have women as the first witnesses. Because in that culture at that time, the testimony of women was inadmissible in, in court. So it's kind of inconvenient. It would be daffing to make up the story with women as the first witnesses. So the only reason you'd do that is if that was actually what happened. Fourth thing, uh, Jesus was seen by many people on many occasions after his resurrection. So big crowds of people, individuals. So even in just in this passage, it's appeared to Cleopas and another disciple um, in verse 15, uh, and then to the rest of the disciples. And no, it's not in a symbolic way. So, so people have said, uh, there's books you can read on this about people saying, well, you know, the Emmaus Road happens to us all. Like Jesus was resurrected in their hearts in that they believed and, and kept going with his teaching. Um, the, the account we've got in front of us doesn't allow us to go there. Uh, he has a chat with them on the road. He breaks bread with them. Uh, verse 39, he comes... He, he says, come, come and have a look and touch, you know. You're probably there going, Ooh, look, so that I was my hands kind of thing. Really physical stuff. And then verse 41, oh, I'm a bit peckish. You got, have you got any food in? So what, did Jesus ask for broiled fish in their hearts? Which doesn't make sense. I don't think so. Uh, fifth thing, last thing, verse 52. They worshipped him. The disciples worshipped Jesus. They worshipped a man. Now, if any group in the whole world, in the, all of history, were least likely to worship a, ma- a man, it was the Jews at this time. See, from their worldview, only God could or would ever be given overt reverence by them. It would go against every fibre in their being to worship a man. So what convinced these Jewish men, to worship Jesus? And what transformed them from frightened runaways to fearlessly, powerfully proclaiming Jesus' gospel? What power was behind that gospel spreading all the way through the Roman Empire within a hundred years and transforming Greco-Roman culture and thought as it went? And they're just a few things. So the resurrection of Jesus is a fact, an historical event. Um, here in church, we've been last um, this term we've been going through chapters four to nine of Luke's gospel, and what we see is that lots of people, especially the religious people, don't like Jesus. They deny he's from God, come to save them, because that would be too inconvenient. But everything Jesus has said or done has pointed to him being the real deal. And it didn't matter if they liked it or not. And again, there may be reasons why we really don't like the idea that Jesus really was resurrected. That it might be an inconvenient truth. But it is true anyway, whether you or I like it or not. 
And it's, that's the reality we have to deal with. So that's the evidence. But what does it all mean? What's the meaning of Jesus' resurrection? Because you might say to me, that's all, that's all lovely for Jesus, being resurrected from being dead. But I don't see that happening to anybody else. What's Jesus' resurrection got to do with me? Why is it important? Well, there's two things Jesus' resurrection means for us. So first, it proves that everything Jesus said about himself is true. And so that he's the key to understanding everything in the Bible. And second, Jesus' resurrection means we can look forward to being resurrected in the same way. It means we can know for sure that we can have life after death. So that first, the first thing that um, uh, Jesus is who he says he is. Uh, I don't know if you're here for our carols but at Christmas, but we had a reading then where the angel announced Jesus' birth to the shepherds. And they said, I think it's on the screen um, from Luke 2. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And Jesus has gone around teaching the same thing, that he really was the Messiah. That means he's God's chosen one. Um, the Messiah is one who's talked about in lots of parts of the Old Testament as a man who will come as God's warrior king to save us from the judgment that we all deserve for rebelling against God, for living for ourselves instead of what we were made for, living for God. And the Bible calls that sin, so to save us from sin. And not only that, this Messiah, this man, chosen man, uh, will one day make creation brand new, more than perfect, and get rid of evil and suffering once and for all. And that's who Jesus claimed to be. But Jesus has just been crucified. What kind of warrior king is that? I mean, the Bible, even the Bible says that any man hung on a tree, like Jesus was hung on a cross, is cursed by God, not anointed by God. How is he going to save anyone? If Jesus is the Messiah without his resurrection, it seems all God's plans to save us have failed. But the resurrected Jesus joins two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus. He'd been telling them several times before his death, um, as the angel reminded the women at the tomb, verse 7, he told them loads of times, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. But they'd never quite got that truth, that Jesus' resurrection was always part of the plan, and Jesus knew it. So if we pick up in verse 25 of chapter 24, verse 25, he said to these two disciples, How foolish you are! And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus showed them how all the big ideas of the Old Testament are fulfilled in him. 
So there's loads of things like the, the system of sacrificing animals to atone for, skin, to, for sin. It turns out that was pointing to Jesus' sacrifice. Uh, way back in Genesis, the, promises that Ab- the promise that Abraham would bless the whole world through his offspring. It turns out the offspring was Jesus. Um, loads of it's the Old Testament. There's the idea that God's king would save God's people into perfect eternity with him. Fulfilled by King Jesus. Uh, in the book of Isaiah, there's uh, the first half we've got this Victoria war- victorious warrior king. And in the second half, we've got this suffering servant taking on the, other, the sins of others. Turns out they're one and the same person in Jesus. So after Jesus' resurrection, reading the Bible, it's like watching a movie through the second time. So some, I won't give away endings, but The Sixth Sense or The Usual Suspects or Fight Club. Kind of film where once you know the end, you can't watch it through again the same way. Or, uh, they're old movies, aren't they? Or like episode four of Star Wars. You know, watch that, that with someone for the first time. You can't remember not knowing the rest of the story and how it all fits in. All God's plan to reconcile sinful mankind, you and me, to himself. To sort out evil and suffering. Come together in this Messiah. And Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. And he's been resurrected, demonstrates that God really has chosen him. Jesus really is the Messiah. He really can save you. He really will make everything right. You can trust him. Jesus' resurrection means he's not just a footnote in history. It means history is a footnote to Jesus. So Jesus' resurrection shows us how he fulfills all scripture and that what he says is true. That's the first thing. So secondly, Jesus' resurrection means that we can be resurrected. We can overcome the brick wall of death. So what do you reckon about life after death? Do you think there is one? I mean, some people think this is all there is. And they come up with nice poetic ways of describing it. So, you know, we're stardust returning to the universe and eventually we'll become the dust of another star. Or it's the circle of life. But what they mean is you die and you rot. You become mud, dirt, and that's it. All of us have to face death. And death, it's like the ultimate oppressor. Death means we struggle to make sense of meaning or meaning of our very limited time here on earth. Death means we become slaves to putting death off. It means we enslave ourselves and we oppress others as we ascribe importance and meaning to people and to things that they were never designed to bear. But knowing we'll be resurrected, we can live a life shaped by the facts that we're going to live forever in perfect, supernatural bodies. A Jesus' resurrection lifts the lid on life after death, gives us a sneak preview. So here Jesus is, in the flesh, eating fish, having a chat, proving that there is life after death. And it's not all floaty and personal. You don't, 
It's not become part of some force or energy. Resurrection is personal. Jesus is still recognizably himself, although he seems able to control when he's recognizable. But he's got a solid body which people can touch, with which he can walk and eat and show his scars. And yet he can suddenly appear in the midst of them as well. That's Jesus. What about us? Um, There are lots of things in life, aren't there, where we need someone to, to blaze a trail, to go first and do it for the first time before us. See, I always wonder, the one I wonder about, this is profound, is blue cheese. Isn't that Stilton, things like that? Who was the first bloke who thought, oh, I reckon that mouldy bit of cheese will be all right. Had a nibble. I bet he was French, that's all right. Blazing a trail. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says this, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So the idea of first fruit, the first of the crop, you know, an apple tree goes one apple, you know there's more to come. More of the same. In other words, Jesus was the first of the crop, the first cab off the rank. And because he's been the first to be resurrected, anyone who is in him, trusting and believing in him, will also be resurrected. And it goes on to say, just as sure as it is that we will die, so it is sure that those trusting and believing in Jesus will be resurrected. And like Jesus, we're resurrected into a body suitable for the new restored creation that Jesus will bring. So still physical, still tangibly us, but different in that we won't rot and we can survive being directly in God's perfect, holy, loving presence. What a comfort to be sure that death is not the end. To be sure that we're resurrected to a perfect eternity with God. No tears, no pain, no evil. We don't have to squeeze our bucket lists into this life because we're not going to miss out. We've got an eternity of glorious joy to look forward to. And we can live our lives in the here and now with our minds centered on eternal things of God on losing our lives for Jesus. And as we do that, as we live that sort of eternity-centric way of seeing life, it makes our life in the here and now richer and deeper, more fulfilling. And what a comfort to know that Jesus is alive right now. It's no wonder then that the risen Jesus says to his disciples, verse 36, Peace be with you. It's all done. Jesus has paid the price for sins of anyone who will trust in him. And he's made the way clear for us to be resurrected, just like him. So just to summarize that second point, Jesus' resurrection shows us that he really is the Messiah, fulfilling scripture, and so we can trust him. And Jesus' resurrection gives us a sneak preview of our own life after death. So to our last point, just to finish up, what do we do with all this? How do we respond to Jesus' resurrection? Well, firstly, if you're not calling yourself Christian today, have a look at verse 31. We're going to look at it. Their eyes were opened. And verse 45. 
Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. No one here calling themselves a Christian today, a follower of Jesus, thinks that's because there's something special about them. It's just that by, God, that by God's grace, as a free gift none of us deserved, God's opened our eyes to understanding what the Bible said about Jesus. And that's my prayer for you today. I pray it for yourself. Ask God to speak, you, speak to you in a way you'll understand through the Bible so that you'll believe and trust in the risen Jesus. Whether you want him to be or not, Jesus is resurrected. He is alive, reigning over all heaven and earth, and he will return to judge everyone. Give your life over to Jesus. You can trust him with it. And he gave his life up for you. So turn away from making yourself God of your own life. Repent of your sins. And turn to follow Jesus and know the forgiveness and new life he gives you for free by grace. If you're already a follower of Jesus today, look at what he says to the disciples. Verse 47. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name, Jesus' name, to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Repentance and forgiveness of sins are to be preached to the whole world. That original message witnessed by the apostles, the true original gospel about Jesus being the Messiah, suffering, dying and resurrected. It's our job to get that message out to the world. And the good news is we don't have to do it on our own. Verse 49, Jesus said, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Every Christian has within them God's Holy Spirit. So the very power that raised Jesus from the grave is at work in us to transform us Enable us to proclaim the good news that Jesus is risen. So to sum up, the best fit for the evidence is that Jesus really was raised from the dead. And this means that Jesus is the Messiah that he said he was. He really can save us and renew creation. It means the whole Bible is about Jesus. And it means anyone who turns from their sin, repents, to trust in him, will be saved. Securing the knowledge of living a perfect, resurrected life forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he lived and suffered, was betrayed, died. But thank you, especially today that he was resurrected, raised from the dead, and lives now. Uh, please help us to know that um, in our hearts. Please help us to be um, inspired and assured that because Jesus is resurrected, if we trust in him to forgive our sins, we will be resurrected too. In Jesus' name, amen.